Hey, uh, welcome to Rockbridge. Uh, my name is Matt, one of the pastors on our team. I want to welcome all six of our campuses. You know, we're one church, multiple languages, multiple locations. Welcome those of you that are uh, watching online. We're in the middle of a series taking us through the book of 1 Samuel. And, and man, it's an incredible journey. Reminds me of, of why I love the Word of God so much. At Rockbridge, we believe the Word of God is truth without error, and it's, our, uh, it's sufficient for us to find God's will and enjoy God's best, and it's authoritative over us, guiding us and directing us. So we're going to get into God's Word together. I, I want you to set up where we are. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 9 <clears throat> this weekend to get into uh, God's Word, but to get into this and what's going on, you know, we've been journeying with, uh, with Israel as they've asked God for a human king, a sinful request, yet God gives them what they want and, 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 and gives that to them. And that's kind of where we were in chapter 8. But to set this up, what's going to happen in chapter 9, I want you to think about like dynamic duos or great partnerships that, that you know of maybe historically. Like Remember like Batman and Robin and Captain Kirk and Spock, right? I mean, just some great, like, you just can't think of one uh, without the other, here's a couple more, Mario and Luigi. How about uh, Chewie and Han Solo, right? That's great. And, and, and we just think about these. There's another one, right? Uh, Brady and Belichick, great athletic partnerships. And, and what we're going to discover as we jump in to chapter 9 of, of 1 Samuel is there's another partnership that you may not have thought about or, or you may have kind of believe it didn't apply to you or it doesn't apply to maybe your situation or your context, but there's a partnership of sorts that God wants to have with us. And he's gone to, I mean, he's even become a human being to communicate things and to offer us like an invitation. He, he has died. We see the shadow of the cross. He has died for us so that we can come back into a relationship with him and it's not just a saving relationship where we escape judgment, the wrath of God, eternity apart from God, but it's a relationship where God wants to work in us, but God also wants to work through us. Now, when we introduce this concept of a partnership with God, there's a, there's a lot of questions like, what is God's role and what is our role? God, God, what does God do and what are we supposed to do? And I, and I think there gets to be a, like a lot of confusion around that part. Like, is, is it all up to God or what depends upon me? I mean, what's God going to do? What am I going to do? So, so let's, let's kind of get underneath and see the foundation of this. Here's something amazing about the God of Scripture, the God of the cross. For since the world began, no ear has heard, no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him who works for those, that Hebrew, that Hebrew word for wait could be trust or depends upon him. So this tells us God is working for his people. And then in Psalm 127, and something interesting pops up. It says, well, unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays alert in vain. So we still have to labor, but God has to be in the building. Of the, uh, of, the, of the house. We still have to have watchmen over the city walls, but God still has to watch over the city. And so that partnership kind of gets involved. And, and, and the key thing is, if God is not involved, it's in vain. If God is not involved, it's in vain. And, and so the question then becomes, okay, what is God's role and what is our role? What is God's part and what is our part? So there, there's really about three options, okay? There, there's option A. Option A is God does everything, 
and we do nothing. And, and, and you know, you might have heard people say, well, let go and let God, or God's going to do what God's going to do. And, and some of you, you know, you, you, know, you, don't, you may not say it this way, but you may say, God could and would never use someone like me, so it's not up to me. Uh, God doesn't want to partner with me. And that's kind of option A. And it leads to some complacency. It leads to, you know, people sort of passive in their faith or, or just kind of hands off. But there's option B, and option B is God does nothing and we do everything. And now, the crazy thing, I, I think a lot of us may tend in this, trend in this direction, and really when it comes to certain areas of our lives, and we would never, you know, put this down as a prayer request or anything or ask anybody to help us with this, but in certain areas of our life, we're like a functional atheist. Because I, I got it. I don't really need God in this area of my life, and, and, and I got it. You know, I'll build the house on my own. I'll watch over the city on my own. But there's a, there's a biblical option that's going to emerge, that I, that I hope and pray we can embrace. And the biblical option is this. God's work is ultimate and decisive, but he gives us. And th this is like where i got to pinch myself and praise the Lord. And, and it's crazy. He gives us the dignity and the responsibility of responding to his work and joining him meaningfully in parts of it. Isn't that amazing? And again, I mean, you're different ends on the spectrum. Some of you are like, yeah, I, I, God's never helped me run my business. Okay, fair. Maybe, maybe that's true. Some of you are like, you know, I, I, I just let go and let God, and I, and I sort of I, I do my thing. I have my beliefs, but I'm not really involved in God's work. But if we could embrace that biblical vision this weekend, it would be a game changer for the church, this church. It would be a game changer perhaps for your neighborhood. It would be a game changer perhaps for your job, your family. If we understood truly that, you know, God is ultimate, God is decisive, but he gives us the dignity to partner with him. Why do all of us sitting here listening to me have a desire to have meaning in your life and to be part of things that are significant? There's a desire for significance. Why do we have that desire? We don't want to just survive like animals out in the, in the wild. We have a desire for significance. That's because God wants to partner with us and invite us to join him in his work. Probably one of the greatest verses, two verses of all, that captures this is Proverbs 21, 30 and 31. There's no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. So that's kind of that option A, God's going to do what God's going to do. God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. It will prevail. And yet, then here it comes. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. Who makes the horse ready for battle? We do. But who brings the decisive victory? God does. So there's this incredible, beautiful partnership where God is decisive and God is ultimate. God is sovereign, but we get to be a part of preparing a horse for the Lord's victories. And that sets up what we're going to see in 1 Samuel chapter 9 and on into chapter 10. We're going to just review where we left off last week. The Lord tells Samuel, listen to them, Grant them their sinful requests and appoint a king for them. So the, the crazy thing is the people have asked God to do something wrong. We looked at why God allows us to fail last week. You can catch that online if you missed it or you weren't here. 
And then God goes right back to work. And he says, okay, Samuel, I want, I want you. you take, you're going to be the one that I'm going to use to appoint a king for them. And, and the crazy thing that j- just jumps out about that is a couple of things. God is always working. Even when we sin against him, he's always working. And he, because what does God do? He works for and with and through what he's got. What has he got? Us. What are we? Sinners. He doesn't quit because we sin. He doesn't stop working because we sin. He still wants to work with what he's got, work for what he's got, and work through what he's got. And he's got us. And if you don't think us includes you, you're wrong. Don't listen to the voice of society or selfishness or narcissism or complacency or satanic condemnation. God's got us. So here let's see how God goes about appointing a king for Israel. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. There was a prominent man of Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, named Kish, son of a Benjaminite. He had a son named Saul, an impressive young man. There was no more impressive among the Israelites than he. He stood a head taller than anyone else. He is on the cover of People magazine, right? I mean, he looks the part. He is going to be uh, potentially the king. One day, the donkeys of Saul's father, Kish, wandered off. So we got some lost donkeys. Kish said to his son, Saul, take one of the servants with you and go look for the donkeys. Saul and his servant went through the hill country, but they didn't find them. They they went through two or three different regions, the Benjamite region, but they still didn't find them. Now, you're like, what does this have to do with appointing a king? What does this have to do with anything? Well, don't forget... God is always working, and God works with what he's got, right? Okay? So, you know, you're like, hey, this sounds like me losing my cell phone or me losing my car keys or, you know, I I parked here. I went into TJ Maxx. I came out. I forgot where I parked and, you know, know, pushing my button. I mean, people lose things all the time. What's spiritual about this? How is God working in this? Well, let's go to the end of of, of this part of the story and let me show you something, okay, that kind of like gives us an insider view. Now, it, it, Saul has no idea. This is another day at the office for Saul. I mean, you lose animals. Animals wander off, right? It's part of being in, in agriculture or being in farming. But let's fast forward. We'll come back. But fast forward to verse 16. And God's talking to uh, Samuel, the prophet, the seer of the day. And he says, at this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. Remember, that's how we're going to get to God appointing a king. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will save them from the Philistines because I have seen the affliction of my people for their cry has come to me. They make a sinful request and look how God is going to work. Even though it is a sinful act for them to ask God for a king, God is still going to work And he's working compassionately and graciously with, for, and through his people. He's like, I will raise up a king. You should not have asked for him, but I will raise him up, and I'm going to use him to help weaken your nemesis, the Philistines. That's amazing about God. Because he could have said, all right, if you want a king, have it your way. I'm out. I give up on you. You don't deserve me. You don't deserve my grace. But God doesn't do that to anybody. That's what Jesus on the cross represents. God didn't have to put Christ on the cross. But he's steadfast in love, right? So what what we see, the first part of Samuel 9 and the middle part of Samuel 9, 
how is God going to connect Saul to Samuel? Donkeys. <laughs> Donkeys. Now, spiritually, let's put a spiritual word up there. That's called providence. That's called providence. When I tell you a lot of times on the weekends you're not here by accident, you're like, well, somebody just invited me, or hey, I hadn't been in a while, so I decided to come, and it's like donkeys. It's providence. It's providence, right? When you bump into someone, and, and you're like, oh, I just happened to see them today. It's like donkeys. It's providence. Why can I say that with absolute 100% confidence? Because God is always working, and he works with what he's got. Okay? <clears throat> Verse 5. When they came to the land of Zuf, Paul said to the servant who was with him, Come on, let's go back, or my father will stop worrying about the donkeys and start worrying about us. Now, at this point, it's just donkeys. So it sort of looks like when we, when we go back to option A, option B, we sort of, this is kind of Saul living in option B. Hey, God does nothing. We do everything. We've done all we can do. We've got to give up looking for the donkeys and go home because my dad's going to start worrying about us. Option B, we've done all we can do. God does nothing. God doesn't have anything to do with donkeys, right? I mean, you've said that. What does God care about my day at work? What does God care about the fact that I go to Starbucks at this time and get this order of coffee and see the same person? What does God care about donkeys? But thankfully, <clears throat> Saul's servant, which tells us a little bit about Saul's leadership, and we'll get to that, says, look, there's a man of God in this very city where we've been look a region uh, where we've been looking for these donkeys who's highly respected. He's talking about Samuel. Everything he says is sure to come true. Let's go there now. Maybe he'll tell us where we should go. And we'll skip on down. Formally, this is kind of how people found the will of God in the Old Testament, or a lot of times. Uh, formerly in Israel, a man who was going to inquire of God would say, Come, let's go to the seer. For the prophet of today was formerly called the seer. So that is Samuel. So what I want to share is what is our part? How do we prepare the horse for battle? God's got a part. It is ultimate. It is decisive. God can use donkeys, right? Lost donkeys. Because God has a thing called providence. And God is sovereign. And God is in control. But we've got a part too. Victory rests with the Lord. But we've got to prepare the horse for battle. So let's look at some aspects of our responsibility. The first thing is this. We have to seek the Lord in this because this is from him who is always working. So Saul, you need to seek the Lord in your lost donkeys because God is always working. See, how easy is it for us to say, God doesn't care about this part of my life, this part of my day, this part of my, life, my relationship, this part of my parenting, this part of this, this part of that, and we never pray about it. We never inquire of the Lord about it. We just assume option B, this part of our life. God has nothing to do with it, and it's all up to us. We're not preparing our horse, are we? We're not preparing our horse. Our responsibility, seek the Lord in this. And what is this? Lost donkeys. Because he's always working. So Saul and his servant, they go up toward the city. 
when they were entering the city, when they saw Samuel, we got to get him together. We got to get him together. So they saw Samuel coming toward them on his way to the high place, the worship place. Now, the day before Saul's arrival, this is what we've already read. The Lord had informed Samuel, at this time tomorrow, I'll send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people. And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord speaks to him, gives him the impression, here is the man I told you about. He will govern my people. Now, here's something interesting that doesn't really come out in the English Bible. The Hebrew word that we've been using in this text is ruler. It is not the Hebrew word for king. Why? Because this king that God's allowing them to have is never meant to be the ultimate king. Because there's only one true king. Which fits our biblical understanding that God's work is ultimate and decisive. So God is the ultimate and decisive ruler or king of his people. But God is giving Saul, through the sinful request of Israel, he is giving Saul the dignity and responsibility of responding to his work and joining him meaningfully in it. So in a sense, we're all kind of Saul. So Saul approaches the city gate and he asks would you please tell me where the seer's house is and Samuel says well I am the seer go up ahead of me to the high place and eat with me today when I send you off in the morning I'll tell you everything in your heart as for the donkeys and Saul's like how did he know about the donkeys because God is always working and God works with what he's got us as for the donkeys that have wandered away from you three days ago, don't worry about them because they've been found. And who does all Israel desire but you? What? I just came here looking for donkeys. And now you're talking about all of Israel looking for me? Saul responded, Am I not a Benjaminite? from the smallest of Israel's tribes? And isn't my clan the least important of all the Benjamite tribes? So why have you said something like this to me? Now, let, let's understand something. The tribe of Benjamin in the book of Judges 18 and 19, the tribe of Benjamin allows a horrific, heinous rape and murder to occur. It's ghastly. And Israel goes to civil war. And at the end of the war, there's only 600 men in the tribe of Benjamin left. Almost wipes out one of the 12 tribes of Israel. The number 12 being highly significant in what God's doing through, the, through, through Israel. And so when Saul says, my tribe's kind of got the black eye. 
we don't have the, we're small. They're because of what? A civil war that almost wiped out the tribe. He's like, why would you say something like this to me? Which reveals the second aspect of our part of preparing the horse. Do not disqualify ourselves by saying no to God's invitation or asking, who me? See, I, I, I think there's a lot of people at Rockbridge. And you look at your past, at what you've done or the family you came out of, and you're like, I could never be used by God. I, I, I'm weak. I am not like the people I see on stage at church or the people I see out greeting or those godly guys with the elder names. I am not like them. Why, Matt, would you want, would y'all ask someone like me? Why would God choose someone like me? Because God works with what he's got. Do not disqualify yourself from being used by God. Do not say no to being a partner with the Lord God Almighty. Do not. God is always working. And he works with what he's got. I'm going to summarize some verses. <coughs> so Samuel brings Saul in and has dinner with him and about 30 other people. And he puts him in the place of honor during a banquet. But nobody knows why. And then Samuel pulls Saul aside and privately anoints him with oil, a, a, an anointing of oil and there's some symbolism there with the Holy Spirit that we'll get into. And, and, and all that goes on. But it, but it kind of gives us something that I think we have to embrace by faith. So, so it's, this, it's this aspect. God's work sometimes is done in secret and only a few people see it. But he's still working. So, so for whatever reason, it's not time for Saul to go public with some kind of coronation. For whatever reason, this is just quiet and behind the scenes and, and listen and, and I've alluded to this before we Americans we are addicted to big we are addicted oh I didn't feel anything in my stomach so God wasn't there please don't discount the truth that God is always working have faith that even when you don't feel it or see it he's working so we move to chapter 10. Saul takes the flask of oil, poured it out on Saul's head, kissed him and said, Hasn't the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? Man, that language. I want that language. I want to worship God with you while I'm preaching. Your worship's not just singing. I can worship while I'm preaching, right? I, I, I want you to worship with me. Who is God's inheritance? Us. He's working for us so we can enjoy him forever. Saul, 
I want you to be the ruler over my inheritance. Now I want you to see something, because this is why I mean this is why Matt Evans loves the Word of God, because it all tells the same story. There's such unity. So, so listen, listen, listen. Now God's inheritance, we would not just say is ethnic Israel. We would say it is the church, the people of God. So listen, watch this. Go New Testament. Jesus says, upon this rock, this confession that he's a long-awaited Jewish Messiah, Savior of the world, I will build my church, which is to say, I will build my people, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I will work with what I got and the people I died for, my church, and hell can't touch her. So who's, who's working? Amen. Let's clap it up. I love it. If you're in a video venue, you can clap too. All right, now watch this. God's working. Then go to Paul in Ephesians 4. These are the gifts Christ gave to the church. He mentions five spiritual gifts or spiritual offices. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do ministry and build up the church. Wait, wait, Jesus, you said you would build up the church. He said, yes, but I'll build it up through you. Not just through the people like the staff or the pastors, the teachers, the apostles. The I've been up the church. Their job is to equip you to do the work. This will continue until all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Saul, take care of my inheritance. People of God, build up the church of God. <coughs> Excuse me. That's why this weekend we're giving everybody an opportunity. And I don't want this to be driven by guilt. I want it to be driven by a vision that the Holy Spirit illuminates in your soul through the Word of God that we just read to give back, to support, to build up the church that we want to see and partner with God. To make his bride beautiful and to build up his people, to build up his church. As the service concludes in a few moments later on, you know, you'll have an opportunity. There's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's something you were given when you came in. You have conversations in our lobby. There's people online to serve you. So let's just remember that and see that vision. Now we'll continue pressing forward. In 1 Samuel 10, Samuel gets three confirmations. He says, three things are going to happen to you. Your donkeys are going to be found at Rachel's tomb. The tomb of Rachel is highly significant, hearkening back to the fathers of Israel in the book of Genesis. They said, you're going to find three men. They're going to give you bread. And then there's some prophets who are going to be singing, and the Holy Spirit's going to deal with you, Saul. Come upon you, Saul. Saul didn't know anything. Saul's like, okay. He says, when you arrive at the city, you'll meet a group of prophets. Let's look at this one. Coming down from the high place, prophesying, they will be preceded by harps, tambourines, flutes, and lyres. It's a lot of singing, a lot of rejoicing. And the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, Saul. You will prophesy with them, and you will be transformed. When these signs have happened to you, you do whatever your circumstances require because God is with you. You prepare the horse and God is with you to bring the victory. When Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed his heart. 
And all the signs came about that day. When Saul and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a group of prophets met him, and then the Spirit of God came powerfully on him, and he prophesied along with him. Everyone who knew him previously and saw him prophesy with the prophets, they started asking this question, what has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul among the prophets? <coughs> As a result, is Saul also among the prophets became a popular saying because they only knew one prophet at a time, and it was Samuel. So for another person to suddenly have the power of the Holy Spirit and, and, and be speaking powerfully and acting powerfully was foreign to Israel. And so this question, is Saul among the prophets, it became like a rhetorical question, a popular slogan. Like in this question, and we'll look at why that's significant in a moment, but it's like, hey, we've got another person operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. Then, then Paul, excuse me, then Saul finished prophesying, went to the high place. And that, that, that reveals another aspect of our responsibility in preparing the horse so God can give the victory. It's this receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Don't just be a Jesus Christian. Don't just be an Our Father who art in heaven Christian. Be a Spirit filled, Holy Spirit vessel Christian. And there's mystery involved there as design. So it's by faith first. Not by feeling, not by ooey-gooey, but by faith. We need the Holy Spirit. God wants to provide the Holy Spirit. And when we operate in the Holy Spirit, our horse is ready for battle. Now we get five truths about the Holy Spirit just in this passage. Five truths that are highly significant. The Spirit's presence is often marked by joy, song, and worship. Because the Holy Spirit loves to illuminate the glory and the majesty and the sufficiency and the supremacy of God. He loves to do that. Right? Go read Ephesians 5, Colossians 3. In the New Testament, you'll see often the Holy Spirit is synonymous with singing and worship. With joy in the Lord. Right? The second thing, second truth we learn about receiving the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit works with the Word of God. Samuel brought the Word of God. Saul had to cooperate and believe and obey the Word of God. In the New Testament, we get a word called resisting the Spirit. Resisting the Spirit is when you delay obedience. Resisting the Spirit is when you don't operate in the impressions that God gives you, the applications. You're not a doer of the Word. You're resisting the Spirit, so your horse is not going to be prepared for battle. The Spirit changes our character, changes our heart. To make us more like Jesus, the, the nine fruits of the Spirit of Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The Spirit wants us to look like Jesus, like men and women of purity and integrity. See, here, here's my fear for a lot of Christians in the American church. As we follow leaders who say they're Christians but look nothing like Jesus. I want to ask us a question. Do we want transformation or affirmation? See, I think a lot of people want, they just want to be affirmed by God. What did we just read? God changed Saul's heart. New Testament gives us a word it's called grieving the Holy Spirit. When we do not operate with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, we are grieving God and not preparing our horse. The Spirit works with gifts and power. Saul became powerful to prophesy. 
and become the ruler of God's people. We are all, if we're born again, we're given gifts of the Spirit that God can build up His church. So some of your gifts need to be employed in these ways, in this card you're handling. And listen, there's a third word in the New Testament. It's called quenching the Spirit. Quenching the Spirit is when we resist the gifts of the Spirit, whether that is prophecy or helps or the gifts of prayer and faith and intercession or wisdom or discernment, etc., etc. We're quenching the Spirit. So we learn, we see five things about receiving the Holy Spirit. And I just ask all of us, when's the last time we've said, God, I need you to fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit? That, I, I pray that's a daily prayer. And, and when people come to serve, their prayer is, God, I want to serve in the strength you supply. I want to be filled with your spirit. Now, <clears throat> Saul bumps into his uncle. Excuse me, let me, let me go back to the, last, the fifth part. I, I forgot that. The spirit's fullness is not continual. Remember that rhetorical question, is Saul also among the prophets? As long as he's receiving and operating in the spirit. You see this, listen, the Spirit's fullness is not continual. We have to be repeatedly filled. One, because we're leaky and we become fleshly, right? So Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Spirit. That literally translates be being filled, be continually filled. We run dry. That's why we come back every seven days, right, and get in song and get in worship, which is a part of Spirit fullness. And we get in the Word of God, and we're convicted, and we're repentant, and, and all of that's part of spirit fullness. And we're challenged to do things like serve and reminded of the vision to partner with God and the vision of building up the church of God. And all that's part of receiving and coming back and being filled and refreshed in the Spirit. So it's not one and done. It's continual and ongoing. Moving on, Saul's uncle bumps into him and says, where did you go? And he says, to look for the donkeys. Keep talking about the donkeys, right? When we saw they weren't there, we went to Samuel. Tell me, what did Samuel say to you? He said, well, he assured us the donkeys had been found. However, Saul did not tell him what Samuel had said about the matter of kingship. Why doesn't Saul tell him? Just a question. So... We get to the public affirmation of Saul. <clears throat> There's a warning. Hey, you've rejected God. We saw this last week. <clears throat> Who saves you from your troubles and afflictions. You said to him, we, you must set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. So all the tribes come up. The tribe of Benjamin. Remember Benjamin, the smallest tribe, the one who had the black eye from what they had done in the heinous crime was selected. Then he had the tribe of Benjamin come forward by clans, and the Metrite clan was selected. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was selected. All started with donkeys, but we've anointed our, we've got our man. But when they searched for him, they could not find him. They inquired of the Lord, has the man come here? So they, it's kind of like God saying, hey, you wanted a guy, but he's not sufficient, so they got to go back to God for the guy. That's why God was like, you don't need a king, you have me. But God works with what he's got. Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, there he is hidden among the supplies. So the guy that's going to save Israel is hiding. The guy that's going to you know, be the man, People Magazine dude, he's hiding. He's cowering. And I wonder, we're all Saul, right? 
God wants to use you. So here's our responsibility. Number four. Choose faith over fear. Faith over insecurity. Faith over ego. Faith over everything else. Saul, God wants to use you. Step up, step out, and serve the Lord. I do believe that's an invitation for many people here. Not by guilt, but by the vision of God, the plan of God, the heart of God. To prepare the horse and trust the Lord with the victory. To build the church of God and know that the gates of hell will not overcome. The chapter concludes... (coughs) Would they go get Saul? He stood among the people. He's taller than everyone in the room. Samuel said to the people, Do you see the one the Lord has chosen? There's no one like him among the population. They shout, Long live the king. Samuel proclaimed to the people the rights of kingship. He wrote them on a scroll, placed them in the presence of the Lord. Then he sent the people home. Saul also goes to his home in Gibeah. And brave men whose whose hearts God had touched went with him. So God gives him an entourage. But some wicked men said, how can this guy save us? They despised him and did not bring him a gift. But Saul said nothing. When you choose, when you say yes to being used by God, there will be other voices saying, you can't do it. You shouldn't do it. God can't use someone like you. Who do you think they are? And here's what you do. You realize that is a wicked voice from the pits of hell. And you step up, you step out in faith. And you say, God, if you want to use me, you work with what you got. You're always working. And God, I want to be a part of building your church. I want to be a part of your team. I want to be part of moving the ball down the field for the kingdom of heaven. I want to be a part of something that the gates of hell will not overcome. So I want to ask you, would you be willing to serve your church? If you think I'm not talking to you, I hope I'm not. I hope the Lord is. So I want to, we're going to give you that opportunity at all of our campuses and online. Again, you can have a conversation, comment area if you're online, connect in an area in the lobby, use this, place in the offering basket in a moment, and say yes if, if God's stirring you. Now, there's another group of people that there's another invitation. And that invitation is one to salvation. The Word of God says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Have you ever responded to this work of God and given your life to him, the steering wheel of your life, that your sins your shame, your guilt to him and said, Jesus, you serve me and I'm going to say yes to you. I pray there's a lot of us that say yes to Jesus. To serve and to be served by Jesus on the cross. Jesus for us, Jesus instead of us. Jesus now in us as his people, his bride, his church. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for everything. I thank you for your word. God, I'm just going to leave it at that. I believe there's a clear invitation on every heart, mind, and soul here today. And I thank you, God, that you're always working. And I thank you, God, that you work with what you got, which is people like us from all walks of life. Jesus, you be glorified by our response.
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen and amen.